Welcome to episode 201 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. A year ago, I shared in my weekly email how I've been attending Boston Pride for 17 years in a row and had been to about 15 New York City Pride parades. I shared how the morning of the Boston Pride Parade always began the same way for me. I always started the day by visiting with friends and colleagues as they gathered to march. I researched the order that organizations are lining up and used that information to figure out how to find and say hello to the folks that I may not see very often throughout the rest of the year. These in-person reconnections bolster our online connection. We remark about whatever project, promotion, or family update has recently been posted about. We hug and shout happy pride as we all move quickly in different directions. This is what pride has been for me, and fortunately, my wife and kids have embraced this tradition. The rest of the day might be a mix of marching, watching, or running through water fountains. I just knew how the day would begin. Except this year is different, very different. There was no rush of activity to get the kids ready and out the door. This was the first Pride season since 1994, 26 years, that I have no plans to celebrate with my community. But some things never change. I sent text messages to a couple of dozen friends and colleagues whom I would normally seek out as everyone lined up for the parade or looked for in the crowds as we marched. The festivities may be on hold until we can all safely gather again in large numbers, but the reconnections can keep happening. That and my family can still dress up in full rainbow regalia and take a walk around the neighborhood for our own family pride parade. Traditions are what you make them. Your challenge for this week. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, summer months bring lots of traditions, outdoor concerts, festivals, and other large gatherings. Your summer schedule is likely going to look very different this year. Each time your plans change, remember to reach out to those you would have seen in person. Send a thinking of you today message and schedule a time to catch up virtually or in a socially distant small group gathering. Don't just let these moments slip by. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is an experienced on-air host and communication strategist whose credits include numerous television networks such as HBO, PBS, and most recently, QVC where she single-handedly launched the fastest-growing brand in the entire network for 2019. She's combined her skills in marketing, production, and hosting with her personal passion for helping nonprofit organizations to create Spotlight on Giving, a full-service company specializing in corporate social responsibility, and Spotlight on TV, which offers celebrities the chance to shine their spotlight on causes dear to them. She wears many other hats, including as a marketing strategist who works with individuals to help them find their voice, as executive producer and host of ABC Coast to Coast, which creates sizzle reels, and as chief empathy officer of A Pebble in the Road, which specializes in effective video storytelling for broadcast, marketing, and online content. Please join me in welcoming Amber Browning Coyle. Hello. Amber, thanks so much for joining us from your office in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Of course, your home office, because we are all in our home offices these days. We are. Home is where the heart is, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, this is a, a show about leadership and networking. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
So I define leadership as teamwork. I think a leader is only as strong as their team. And in terms of when did I first identify myself as a leader, I would say very early on. I actually, I don't have a memory of this, but my mother has told me that I, instead of an imaginary friend, I had an imaginary class that I would carry around in the palm of my hand and teach my imaginary class. So I think I've been a teacher like from birth. Um, and I do remember lining up my dolls on the couch and conducting entire classes and teaching my dolls who knows what, because what does a four-year-old know? <laughs> but, but I think as a leader in terms of really thinking about how I can teach, how I can instruct, and how I can influence, I think it was much younger than a lot of other people, and I was able to kind of tap into that at a really young age and then develop those skills along the way. I love this idea that you're only as good as your your team, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 is one way to judge whether a leader is actually uh, doing their job well. That it's not necessarily even a role because a leader could be another teammate, right? Who who's again like stepping in and helping out and showing up. So um, this idea of you walking around though, like <laughs> such a cute idea, you walking around with your class like that. Um, that's really that's really awesome. So. Um, it feels like you've always sort of had this vision of yourself, even at an early age, and obviously other people recognize it in you. Where, where do you think that that's that comes from? Like when you're thinking back to you being, I don't know, grade school, high school, those years. Like, were you were you seen as that leader, as having that potential? And then were people sort of nurturing that? Did you sort of get thrown into like roles and thrust into opportunities? Like, what was life like? Yeah, well, I think. The early, early influence is definitely my mother. Um, I was raised by a single mother the majority of my young life before she married. And she's always been a leader. She's a born leader. She was always a manager and director in terms of her profession as I was growing up. So I watched her lead other people. And I think that that influence carried on throughout my early adolescence. And to answer your question as to was I acknowledged, I was always volunteering (laughs) to be the leader. But I don't think it was in an obnoxious way. I mean, my, my younger memories um, of grade school and even early high school was I was either nominated to be the leader or the group, you know, um, the group leader or whatever, or I would say, oh, I can do that. Yeah, let's, I'll, I'll lead the group discussion. Or, you know, a lot of times in school, especially when you're younger, you get these group projects. And I was always the one that would say, oh, I'll, I'll take on that. And I think something that I learned early is when you take on a leadership role, you take on those responsibilities with Spider-Man, right? With, with, with the responsibility, with, with great power comes great responsibility. So I think I learned that as a young child and then kind of carried that through because if you take on that role, you better step up. You better have the responsibilities. And especially I was, I was quite a student so and very competitive. So if it was for a grade, we were going to get it done. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if it was for a grade. That's funny. So um, were there other people in your life that demonstrated this kind of leadership? And like, it was obviously your mom, when you say she was a born leader, like what were you seeing? I mean, I think it's hard. And you look back, like, it's funny. I'm thinking the other day about how I remember going to my mother's 40th surprise birthday party and how old that felt. I'm older than that now. (laughs) So like, you know, and it was like, you know, and, and, you know, so it's hard sometimes for us at a young age to really appreciate what our parents do. But it sounds like you did at that time, or at least later in life, realize that 
that that was an influence on you. But like, what in what ways tangibly was she able to do that? So my mother was an idea generator. Uh, I've definitely inherited that from her. So she was constantly starting side businesses and, you know, always had something aside from her full-time job and she would rally. I think that's the other part that's important when you're discussing leadership is in terms of building trust, building rapport and making sure it's a positive experience. You never want to be a negative leader. Nobody wants to be a boss, right? I mean, obviously within the negative connotation, you don't want to boss someone around or be bossy. I'm using quotation marks. So she never really exhibited those um, qualities. It was more of a situation of, hey guys, this would be really great. Let's try this. And when I say, hey guys, I mean her siblings. (laughs) She's the oldest of uh, of four. And even from young, I remember she would rally her her brothers and sister to, to help her out in these businesses that she had created. And they were always successful. Everybody had a great time. It was always a family business, so it had that family feel to it. And it was usually a a great stepping stone for the next one because, like I said, she was an idea generator. So if one thing didn't work, she didn't dwell. It wasn't about, oh, that didn't work. I'm so upset. It was more, okay, what can we learn from that experience and what are we going to do next? Her brain was always going to the next thing. And I think that I inherited that from her because if you dwell on it as a leader, you're going to bring down your team. You're going to bring down your employees or your staff or whomever. So you have to maintain that positive aspect and that positive mentality of, okay, what can we learn from this experience? And let's try something else or let's move on or let's do whatever, you know, is, is appropriate for the time. So uh, to answer your question, her siblings, <laughs> she was uh-huh. the leader of her siblings. And I then followed suit. I'm the oldest cousin. So I would then create all of these. I was a dancer. So I would create all of these um, intricate dance performances with my cousins, my little cousins and say, you're over here and you're over here. And they loved it. They thought it was so much fun. They still talk about it. So I think I kind of inherited that from her. That's so great. And I I think um, you're mentioning like being able to do this without being labeled bossy, I think is really hard for girls and women. Mm-hmm. And uh, such a fine, such a fine line, particularly when you're working with your siblings and family members. Um, but clearly, you got to see her do that. And I also am not surprised hearing this story that you have so many hats today because you clearly like <laughs> developing things and trying things out. And you're not like singularly focused on one thing. You're like, no, 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 this can't, this cannot contain all of me. I must create these other things to build them out. Um, what did you think you were going to be when you were like? I don't know, like high school-ish age. Like, did you have a clear sense? Was it was dancing the path or was there some other creative expression or what was that like? Uh, so I was a dancer from the age of seven all the way through high school. So I remember I started doing the musicals in high school and I went to my vocal teacher and said, because I, I was you know, participating in the musicals, so I obviously had to learn to sing because I was a dancer who didn't really sing. And I remember saying, I want to sing and I want to dance and I want to act and I'm going to create this major. I'm just going to make it up. And my vocal teacher said, okay, Amber, that is an actual major. It's called musical theater. It already exists. Good news for you. Um, So I, I knew from probably, I would say, sophomore year of high school that I wanted to pursue a musical degree, but I wanted it to be all encompassing and, and have a variety to it. So musical theater obviously has those three components, but I was really interested in a concentrated music major because I wanted to challenge myself. So I actually was um, 
was accepted into my university, which was Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., go Cardinals. And I was accepted as a dancer to strengthen their dance program, but I saw it as a challenge. I wanted to become a better singer. I wanted to become a better actress. I minored in psychology because I was always fascinated by human behavior. And that's when kind of the marketing advertising side of my brain started to get activated. So I think from a, from a relatively early age, but the fascination with dance uh, and the intrigue that I felt from other aspects of that. And my mother was a dancer, so I did inherit that from her as well. <laughs> not, I know that's not surprising as I tell these stories, but it was, it was dance, yes, but it was always mass- multifaceted because I, I really crave a challenge. Again, so I hear multifaceted because it's not going to be one thing, but also you're competitive. So, you know, (laughs) you wanted it to go deep and challenge yourself and conquer something. So it's not that you want to dabble in everything. You want to be a solid learner in in an area that has a wide array of like applications, perhaps. Um, You know, it's really interesting because now, you know, you are sort of still kind of doing a lot of these things. It's, It's still creativity. It's still the arts. Um, it's still, you know, manage like managing lots of moving parts and dealing with lots of different personalities. Like I, f- I feel like you had a lot of the foundational skills, but you had no idea where you were going to end up. Like this was not, you know, on your radar. When did this start to become? Um, well, like how do you define who you are today? I guess is my first question. And the second question is, when did that start to become a possibility that that would be who you'd be? Sure. Uh, I can I can give you this concrete, not the date, but the specific event. I was an MC for NASCAR, and I became fascinated with the talking points, the marketing, and the fans, the, the, the way that they follow so passionately their favorite driver or just the sport in general. And when I took the job, I thought, I am not going to like this job. <laughs> this is really not up my alley, but I, I love performing. So, you know, let's try it out. And I was hosting at that point a little bit, but not a ton. And that's when I really started to flip the script in terms of advertising and marketing and human behavior. And I thought, this is really interesting. I think I want to delve further into this. And that's when I decided to get my MBA in marketing. And I thought, to answer your question, that I would go into advertising. And that's just not the, the path that I took, but I was able to take the skills that I learned as an MC, as a performer, and everything from competition to feedback to not being so hard on yourself to accepting change. All of those things came into play. And when I decided to pursue marketing and advertising, it all became one huge communication. It was mm-hmm. all about communication, whether you're dancing on a stage, you're singing a song, you're writing copy, or you're hosting, representing a product, or you're interviewing a celebrity. It's all about communication. And for me, that's the umbrella. So it does seem like I'm doing multiple things, but it's funny to hear you say that, Robbie, because I feel like it's all under one umbrella of communication, and that's really where I excel. You know, it also makes me think that you're even your psychology, your psychology minor uh, sort of plays into this. You know, I have, a, I have a sociology and political science as my dual degree. And um, I went on to get my master's in social work. But I, I just feel like I rely so much on those things that I learned about people, right? And like similarly, people who, who focus on psychology, I mean, it comes to play when you talk about marketing, communication, like that's all advertising. That's all about how people think and what moves them. So 
um, it's really interesting. And, and I agree. I think when you're saying this, it makes sense that communication strategist is sort of like a, a, an overarching way to describe you. Um, but I like the nuance of it much better because it's, you're more than just that one thing. Like, I like that you have all these varied interests. Um, there is one in particular, like I, there's a few lines that I want to go down, but there's one that's in particular, um, this, the spotlight on giving, um, my background's nonprofits. I, I have that share that passion. I think it's amazing that you were able to do this to shine the light on the work that was happening. Um, and you know, there's one thing to like help people around corporate social responsibility and working with different companies, but then you bridge that to bring in this like celebrity focus. How did that come to be? Because I imagine that also has some stories around relationship building. Um, I mean, you just told me like, you know, you were at, right before our call, you were talking to Jamie Foxx because you're going to do a <laughs> thing with him. So very casually dropping in here that, yeah, Jamie Foxx. So, but like, how does, how, a lot of people are like, oh, we want to shine the light on the good work happening in the world. But then you thought, here's a particular way and I'm the right person to do it. So how did that arc start? So it was interesting because it started on the red carpet, which I'm sure is not surprising, but it took a different path. I did red carpet interviews for HBO. And so I would interview celebrities and that was one side of my job, I guess, or life or whatever. But I've always been a giver from a very, very, very young age, from giving my sweater to strangers in the grocery store. My mom would find me and be like, where's your sweater? Like all the time, because I thought they were cold in the frozen food aisle. (laughs) It's a true story. So as a child, all the way through my adulthood, I've always been a giver. I've always been a volunteer very involved in nonprofit organizations, very involved in how I can help others. And I became a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say expert, but a go-to for people who would say, hey, do you know a nonprofit for this? Or I really want to help out this particular cause, et cetera, et cetera. And so these things happen in congruence with each other. I was interviewing celebrities on the red carpet. And anyone who's done any type of red carpet interviews, you know they're all scripted. You get the questions ahead of time. Most of the time, the people to whom you're speaking already know the questions that you're going to ask. So they have prepared answers that have been approved, et cetera, et cetera. And we're talking Julia Roberts, Mark Ruffalo. I mean, like high level people. And it became a game to me, a challenge to me to get through those questions. So then I could have more conversations about real topics that interested me and might interest the other person. And so I kind of be able, was able to build this rapport, a little bit of a trust with some celebrities. And I found that, again, it all comes down to communication. You know, Oprah says everyone has a story to tell and she's not wrong. Everyone does. And I thought, this person is so cool. Why can't we see this side of this celebrity? And at the same time, I had people asking me, hey, do you know a great nonprofit for multiple sclerosis? Because I know they do the walk, but what else do they do? Have you worked with anyone in New York City, et cetera, et cetera? So I decided I am going to host for a nonprofit television show. That's what I'm going to do. This is going to be amazing. And guess what? It didn't exist. It didn't exist. And so as per usual, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be a producer now. (laughs) So I essentially taught myself how to produce a show. I started in a local cable um, studio. I built my set. Uh, I modeled my set after Queen Latifah's set because I thought it was so beautiful. So I'm very much aware of, of looking to people that do it better than you. I think that's a really good leadership skill as well. I definitely do not pretend that I know everything or, or that I don't have anything to learn. That would be the opposite. And so I created this set and I started, this is important because I started with Broadway because Broadway was my 
comfort zone. I had so many friends in Broadway that I knew they would maintain the integrity of what I wanted to accomplish. And to my luck, they did, or to my credit or whatever, to their credit rather, they did. They understood what I was trying to do. And so I would bring the Broadway star in to talk about a cause, a specific cause, not an organization. I would then bring in a representative of the organization that I had matched the celebrity with, or they had come in and said, I'd like to work with this particular organization. They already had a cause in mind. The cause always, always, always comes from the guest. It never comes from me. It's never an outside influence. And I've had many, many people, very high level, A-list celebrities say, oh, I want to do this because of this project I'm doing. And I'd say, I'm so sorry. That's just not the vein in which we're working. But I'm sure there's lots of outlets for you to do that. But that's not my, that's not my, my goal here. And as I started interviewing the, the Broadway stars, word got out. People started referring other people. Um, and I also was able to tap into my Hollywood connections. And because, I think this is really, really important, because the integrity was intact, I did not have an ulterior motive. My motive is and always has been to help the cause and the specific nonprofit organization that is doing incredible work. And I did my due diligence. Let me tell you, friend, I researched the heck out of these nonprofits. I would go and volunteer undercover so I could, I would know exactly how they related to their volunteers. I mean, I, I really did the work. And I think people were able to sense that and they appreciated it. And I've said it's my purpose to help everyone either figure out what their cause is or more importantly, give them an outlet to which they can help that cause. And so that's how Spotlight on Giving was born. And then it became a full service social corporate, uh, corporate social responsibility company because obviously I had all these contacts now with nonprofits and people would, I had started having people emailing me and say, oh, you know, our company wants to do this. Uh, you know, Viacom, I, I, I had this woman that worked at Viacom mutual friend, we met at an event and she said, oh my gosh, I go on your site because I trust you. I trust the nonprofits that you spotlight. I was itty bitty, like it comes gargantuan. And when she said that, I thought, oh my goodness, like again, the great responsibility. I had no idea. And then I was able to help that with their Give Back Get Down program for four years running. So I, I think it just builds upon itself. But the most important part of that entire long-winded tale is the integrity. In my Absolutely. Opinion. Oh, I, I think it really was. And I and I also love like the organic nature by which it grew mm-hmm. and that you saw these possibilities, you know, between these different things that were going on. And you like leverage those connections um, when the easy path wasn't there to like just host for an existing channel. You were like, well, I'll just start a show and learn how to do that. <laughs> like a lot of people would have been like, well, this was a nice idea and like moved on. <laughs> Uh, but you're like, no, no, it is a really good idea. And I do think the integrity piece, like the level of effort you went into to researching nonprofits, um, that you're only were taking causes based on truly the interest of the the celebrity themselves and not outside influence. I think all of that is about character and that builds trust. And, you know, a, a lot of people, including me, are hosting podcasts. We're not getting paid to host podcasts. I don't monetize my podcast directly. But I think my effort and energy that goes into doing this and producing this show builds on that trust and that integrity. You are just able to amplify it because of those connections that you have. You know, um, we all start somewhere. Like I remember, you know, I started interviewing local leaders and now I'm like pulling in, you know, influencers in my field 
And it's all been happening sort of, you know, with, with effort, but over time it gets easier to do. So this is something you're still doing. Um, I think something, you know, at the end you can give everyone links to it so people know how to find it and check it out. Um, the other thing I wanted to just bring up because it, it's, it's been, I saw this in your intro here, but also it's been talked about other places that I was seeing that you were speaking. This idea that you uh, were uh, working at QVC, there's got to be a story here, right? You were going to QVC and you single-handedly launched the fastest growing brand in the entire network for 2019. So um, I don't even know what scale that is. I like, what like, what was the product? I, like, that's my burning question. Well, the product is why I was just, I'll be on with Jamie Foxx tonight uh, at midnight. We're kicking off a, a brand new product launch on QVC. So it's his brand. He, Haley Steinfeld and Ashley Benson, it's their brand. Um, and while I won't speak on behalf of, of the brand here, uh, I can speak on my experiences with QVC. QVC is storytelling. That's what it is. It is bringing awesome products to great people who want options and opportunities. That's really what it's all about. And the single-handedly part, I really cringe because it it's never single-handedly, right? It's not, it's a team. I am, it's not my company. It's not my brand. I don't pretend that I'm the only one that did it. The single-handedly side is just, I am the representative. I am the expert. I am the strategist that works with the company that you see on air. So I'm the person, I'm the personality that people respond to. And then I'm able to kind of educate them and get them excited about our products, which is an eyewear company. And it's all super high quality and really affordable, which is great because that's what people want. Right. And so it's, we've been recognized as the fastest growing brand in the entire network across categories uh, for 2019, which is amazing and immense. And I just, I, I don't even know what to say about it because I'm so excited about it. So is there an overlap or a crossover between your work with Spotlight on Giving and connecting with celebs and then this opportunity with QVC to work with Jamie Foxx? Not this particular uh, celebrity, <laughs> though Jamie Foxx does a ton for nonprofits. He's an amazing yeah. person. He really is, as are other partners for sure. But this particular position came from my strategy side. Fascinating. Yeah. So I, I want to know what, what was the challenge? Because it feels like what you're laying out here feels... I don't want to say effortless, but oh, that you knew <laughs> what effort needed, like that you knew what effort had to be put in and that you were willing to do the work. But even knowing what effort has to be put in and knowing like that you were willing to do the work, there must have still been like, I don't know, what are the, what are the hurdles? And is it like, so for some people it's, the, you know, they're not great with numbers. They have to hire someone for that. Um, for others, it's copy, you know, like, that's the part they struggle with. And for others, it's mental, like they, you know, it's mindset stuff. So as you have been growing and growing in your career and seeing more and more opportunities and defining success for yourself, what, what got, what gave you pause and where did you need to start asking for help? It would definitely be two things. One is I'm very goal oriented, but being goal-oriented makes you focus on the end and you need to let go of the outcome. And so, especially with QVC or really any, any job that you're doing, anything really that you're doing in life, uh, if you're so focused on what's going to happen at the end, obviously with QVC, we're selling things. So it is sales. It's, it's based, you know, sales are, are incorporated in there. Um, so we do have goals for, for sales, of course, as any other business would. If you are only focused on that, 
and you were only focused on how many, uh, you know, books you're going to sell. Like you've written a book to help people and then you get off track because you're, you think, well, I want to be on the New York Times bestseller list and sell X amount of books. It can't come from there. And I have had to learn that. And I still am learning that. I still have to remind myself, you have to let go of the outcome. If you get too wrapped up in what you want to happen, two things. One is it's probably not going to happen because you're going to be so focused on that that you're not going to give your best possible self. And two, you're kind of going to be a little miserable because you're always going to be reaching for that cookie. And, you know, in the end of it, it's, it might not even be the best cookie that you thought it was going to be. Because when you reach the goal, you're like, well, that wasn't even as great as I thought it was going to be. It doesn't feel as good because it's not coming from an organic, real place. So I think that's one thing, definitely. And in terms of learning, learning to ask for help, that's another big one that has been a struggle for me in the past that I'm still working on. Um, I tend to, to bite off a lot. And it's not necessarily more than I can chew, but if your goal is always helping people, which is what I try, I, I'm trying in everything that I do and I fail miserably, but I try to have my goal that I'm not focusing on the outcome, but I'm focusing on the process of helping people. You can want to do everything and you can just feel like this runaway train and you have to be able to recognize that, ask for help when you need it. And most importantly, learn from others. I mean, I have so much to learn from you just in our conversations. You're, you're such a font of knowledge and it's so awesome. And our personalities are great and we have these great conversations. And I think that that kind of comes from a real place because we're not thinking about what are we going to talk about on this podcast? You know, like it's not a goal. It's not an end. And you're not, we don't have an end in mind. It's really just about the process and about letting go of that. And so I know if I had a problem, I could come to you and say, Hey, I need some help. And you, hopefully I think you would help me, but I think it's really about recognizing what others have to offer, acknowledging it, and most importantly, appreciating it. Um, you know, my favorite book, Howard Schultz, uh, wrote, pour your heart into it. He's the CEO of, of Starbucks. And one of my favorite books, I have a lot of favorite books, but was one of the first books I've read in terms of strategy. And he said, always hire people that are smarter than you. And I know that's not a new concept, but it's an easy one to forget. Wow. Okay. So you gave us a lot to, to <laughs> chew on, uh, speaking of, of uh, biting off a lot. But okay, I really like this piece around not being so goal-oriented. And I had to learn this too. This is sort of like, you know, life is about the journey, not the destination and all, all, those, like, all those lessons, that cliched lessons. But honestly, until you live into those lessons, it's hard. It's hard to believe. Um, but if, but it, you're right. If, if you're so focused on that outcome and you get to it, you actually aren't there because you've already reset the goalpost and you're always striving and you never get to appreciate any kind of success in life. Whereas if you can appreciate the journey along the way and the process and the people who are helping you at every turn and all the micro successes, and even appreciating some of those micro failures because they're setbacks, but they teach you things. I just think like it's a it's a different way. It's a more abundant way of living. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I also know that you're you're saying and you've admitted like you are a, a person who likes to win and you're competitive. And so how do you you know it's a redefinition of what success looks like. I think that's a big piece of it. And then the asking for help part, man, that is a that's a. I'm so glad you brought that up. There's a there's a thing for a lot of people listening. I'm sure and you know, 
one of the best advice I actually got on this was from Dory Clark. And, and I feel like she rarely doesn't come up in conversation because I like her so much in her work. But I was asking her about like, when do I hire an assistant? I needed a VA, you know, that kind of thing. And I wasn't at a, I wasn't at a point where I had enough revenue to really do that. And she said that she had her first book take off in a big way and she didn't have the VA set up. And even though she finally got one within like a month, the backlog to dig out and set up systems was a nightmare. And, you know, she's like the smartest person I know. And that was hard. So I was in the middle of launching a book. And so I was about to. And so I actually had someone apprentice for me for the summer to learn about book launches. And then I also taught her everything about running a podcast. And she was able to then sell that to other clients. And then by the time the book came out, I felt comfortable enough to start paying her to like continue the work. So I just think like we have to know almost before we know that we need someone. Like I think to Mm -hmm. truly grow is like hiring the right people, hiring people who are smarter than us and then not waiting too long. I just think like it's just, you know, having a great team assembled late is not is not doing yourself or them good. So I think that we might, I would just sort of add that lesson to this conversation. Yeah. Um, so thank you for all that. And, you know, I, I want to just acknowledge that you've met, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of people in your career. I mean, you, you are so a people person. Um, I, you know, it's funny because you and I just connected and have seen each other so much in the last month that I, I can't <laughs> I know, believe that awesome. we've only known each other a short time. <laughs> um, you're also a show up kind of person, which is really cool. And I imagine that you want to stay in touch with a lot of these people and see what they're up to. So I want to know about sort of your systems. Uh, you know, you have your inner circle. Those are people you're going to definitely keep track of. But then there's like that second and sort of third layer or tier out people that maybe you would see once a year at a conference or um, maybe you worked with five years ago and people that you don't have a reason to reach out to right now, but you like, you like these people and you want to nurture these relationships. So like, what are your habits or philosophies or practices around nurturing and sustaining those kinds of sort of outer layer connections? I think two things. I think social media is our friend because it gives us so many opportunities to maintain those relationships and do it without, again, an ulterior motive. So if you see someone just launched a book or or wrote a book or they launched a new product or maybe they got a new puppy, if it's personal, it's even better because it comes from a, a real place, an organic place of, oh my gosh, your puppy's so cute, congratulations. And then you're furthering that relationship. You're, you're deepening it, but you're deepening it with value. And then LinkedIn is my, my first mode of communication in terms of professional. So if I meet someone, oh, do you mind if I LinkedIn you? And then I do it right away, right away. There's been conferences where I'm just, I just, you know, send it real quick. And then if I see that person again, oh, I did, I did send you a LinkedIn request. It'd be really great to connect because the higher level the person, the harder it is to maintain, to build that relationship and maintain it. But if you can get that one bridge, if you can just make that, the, the thread, let's say of just some type of communication, because, you know, sometimes I don't give out my last name you know, I'm a woman, I'm, I'm careful. So a lot of times it's difficult when I first meet someone to build that relationship and even start a rapport or a trust or something along those lines. Whereas if I 
think that it's going to be a, a valuable relationship, then if you do it in a LinkedIn situation, it's professional and there's no questions. And then you have each other's information, but it still has that professional level to it. And I've noticed that LinkedIn is even, people are sharing some more personal things on there. It's kind of evolving a bit. So my, my and Twitter is another one, um, which is great because it's limited, but people share small little snippets of their life. And so if you see someone retweet something, reach out, reach out and say, oh, I, I saw that too. I really agreed upon it. Or what did you think of this? Or whatever it is. I think two things that I would say from all of the things that I've just said is one is build the, build the bridge or the thread, just one level, just one level of, of a relationship or communication, some way to get a hold of that person if indeed the opportunity should arise. And then the second one is a little bit impulsive. If you see something that you think, oh, I would really like to tell that person, I don't know, I like their shirt or congratulations on the puppy or, oh, I saw that retweet, I agree with it or whatever it is. If you see that opportunity and your gut tells you, oh, I would really like to reach out before your head comes in and says, who are you to reach out to that person? Why would you send that person? You don't know that person. They're not your friend, et cetera, et cetera. Do it. Just do it. As long as it's in a professional capacity, go with the impulse because the impulse is coming from a place of giving. It's coming from a place of integrity. It's not coming from a place of an ulterior motive. And I think that's important to your point of building a network and communicating and building relationships and trust. It has to come from a real place. So if you're the whole time thinking, oh, I really want that person to, you know, I want to be on that person's podcast, or I, I wish that they would write the foreword for my book, or you always have that in mind. It goes back to that end goal that we were talking about. They're going to sense it. They're not going to like you very much, quite frankly. And you're not going to follow through because your insecurities might come into play. So I think from all of that, that I just said is one, build a bridge or a thread, first line of communication in some way. Social media is a great tool to do that. And two, be impulsive. Yeah. Take the action. Because I, you know, I was, remember I had a client who said, "Robbie, Robbie, I'm getting so much better doing my follow-up emails." And I, you know, I was in this, I had this conversation, and they were talking at this meeting, and I thought of this great book, but then the moment passed, so I didn't bring up. And I, she says, "But I did do my follow-up emails," and I said, "And did you bring up the book in your follow-up emails?" And she goes, "Uh, no." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, let's tie all this together," <laughs> like, you know, like. I, I had this hesitancy, like you said, like somewhere between the impulse in the moment, she didn't get a chance to do it because the moment passed. She she did the follow up email in a rote kind of way, in like a checkbox kind of way, not mm -hmm. in a like mm -hmm. I'm here to give. And I was like, but you're just check marking your way. Like it's not that's not relationship building. You know, you had this offer. You had this like you had advice. You had support. You had, you had some way you thought would be helpful. You've got to bring it up. So even when the moment passes. So one of my favorite things to try to do is when I see, I think of like um, all of these social media posts are like little tickler files, you know, like the whole idea that it'll, it'll pop up when you need it. And mm -hmm. so when it pops up, whatever it is, birthday, new job, puppy, I love the puppy example. Um, I like to follow up with a person through a different channel than the one I learned about it. So if I heard about it on LinkedIn, do I have their email? Do what? Can I text them? 
You know, mm-hmm. like what, yeah. what's the highest level of like personal touch that I can do? If I see a birthday, like I just, I have an, a former boss whose birthday just passed and I sent her an email. Uh, sorry, I sent her a text when I saw it was her birthday. And lately I've been adding a, um, after my birthday greeting thing, I say like, um, any special plans? And ever since I started adding that any special plans question, I'm getting better replies. I'm getting not just replies more, but I'm getting like thorough answers that mm-hmm. lead to a conversation. Like she sent me photos of what she Aww. did that day. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Which was great. And then I was able to respond to that. And like that might be the entire conversation right now, but it's another point of connection that when more than, I mean, like if my mother went on my Facebook page and wrote HBD, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, yeah. It wouldn't count. It gets you know? lost in the translation. I know. So, um, so yeah, that's my, my latest thing is to try to figure out like when this, when this thing triggers the like, Oh, let's take that action. I didn't think, well, how can I switch it to another, even from Facebook to LinkedIn or vice versa? Like if I think they're playing that space, like how do I get their attention? So, but I really like this idea of building connections so that you can do that because if you don't, get the LinkedIn requests accepted while you still kind of remember each other, then you don't have the opportunity to do a lot of follow-up stuff. So there's sort of a twofold point here. I mean, this is a really tangible thing. You know, sometimes I have, I have guests who come on who like apologize that they don't have, you know, CRMs and, you know, like four point like steps and all this. And I'm like, honestly, in, in any, in some ways, like the process that you'll use, the one that you should use, like if you, if you build out a whole CRM with lots of follow-up things and then you don't ever use it, like it's, it's, it's kind of useless. Like I'm more like you, I like take action when I see it. And, um, you know, I, I think that, I don't know, this is, this is really solid advice. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, because I just think like in particular, I guess what I would ask you about is influencers, like I'll put influencers and celebrities sort of in the same bucket for this question, but people who everyone's seeking, you know, that's what makes them hard to reach. What's been some of what you've done to like break past that? You know, like you said, how do you build a more personal connection so it doesn't seem like you're just chasing them to get them to write your forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great question. I think it has to, like I said, it has to come from a real place. If there's a specific person that you really have your eye on, do your homework, have something to be able to say and try to not guide the conversation, not to what you want, but what they might want. So it has to come from the other person. You have to be thinking about, again, what you can give. And what I tell my clients all the time, know your audience. You have to know your audience. So if your audience is a celebrity that is completely sought after all the time and is just being inundated with requests and inundated with all of these things, have that in mind and do something to make it different. Or if you know there's going to be an opportunity, let's say you know you're going to meet them at an event, practice what you're going to say, have it ready to go and make it unique. Make sure it's unique. I, I had a friend that told me all the time, especially when I was first starting out, you're not a fan. You're not a fan. You're, you're a friend or you're a, an acquaintance or like a business acquaintance, but you're not a fan. Don't put yourself in the situation of being a fan because then that puts you along with everyone else. Whereas when I was booking guests for Spotlight on Giving, I wasn't coming to it from a point of being a fan. I was coming to it from a point of I'd already done my research. I knew that, you know, 
um, they might have a cause in mind, or maybe I've spoken to somebody about it or whatever, or I just knew they would be a really great guest. I was prepared. So I think that's important and make sure that it's something that makes you stand out. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, people are always getting the, oh my God, I just love your work. Like, or, oh, like, you know, you've changed my life. I mean, they, what the answer basically is, thank you. And mm-hmm. then like, they move on. Cause like, there really isn't much more to that conversation. It's like, oh, that's nice to hear. Thanks. You know, <laughs> like, exactly. but it doesn't make you stand out. You're not unique. You know, it, it is, I had an opportunity once, um, uh, I was, I met a, an actress and, um, she was at a charity event and it just happened that, and she was from a very popular show that I liked. Right. And it just happened that she was standing by herself, uh, and everyone. So I, I walked over to say hello to her. And then because I was sitting there, then eight people came over to talk to her and then they all got selfies. And then when they left, I said, what would you rather be doing right now? <laughs> where, Perfect. you know, if, if you Perfect. had, uh, if you had time, like, where, where are you usually doing? And then she told me all about how she teaches acting and how she loves these students and how she's been doing that for 30 years, even before she had any kind of acting career of her own that was seen by me. And we talked about that. She said a few minutes later, I have to use the restroom. Are you still going to be here when I get back? My gosh, <laughs> see? And because what a boring night too. Right. Like, yes, they're a celebrity, but they're a person who's bored out of their mind at uh-huh. this charity event where no one knows them other than as a celebrity and they don't know anyone. And the only people who ever come up to them, like sneak in for a quick selfie, then run away. And they're either sequestered in the green room or they're standing out amongst people being like thronged. And I talk to them as a person and I, and it really comes back to what you just said. Like I treat them like a person. It's a memorable conversation to me. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like I learned more about them than I would have in any other space. So, mm-hmm. all right, don't lead as being a fan. I, and I was a fan. That's the, that's the thing. It's like, I really do like their work, but I didn't lead with that. So, and that's okay to be a fan. Yeah. Um, they'll appreciate the fact that you appreciate their work. Everyone wants to feel appreciated and, right. and recognized for what they're doing, if, especially if that's their career and they're putting so much into it. It's like you said, don't lead with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you're right. In the end, she asked if I wanted a photo because <laughs> oh, I didn't see? even ask for one. And she asked you. Yeah. That's yeah, perfect. Before, before we parted ways. So in the end, I still got the photo, but it wouldn't have mattered. Like, I guess I got more, like, who knows what that photo is? The conversation stayed with me. So I have a, a last question, which is, you know, I'm, I know we're going to stay in touch, but let's say we're reconnecting a year from now where we're catching up and we're reflecting on all of your successes from the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Um, the successful pivot. This pandemic has been a real gift for me. Um, I've been able to really kind of reprioritize, take a pause. I was working so much as so many people, like, you know, back-to-back hours, exhausted, not investing in myself, et cetera, and not getting enough sleep, not eating properly, you know, and I was able to kind of rediscover that for myself. And I think a year from now, I hope, I should say, that I will carry that through. I will carry the lessons that I've learned in this pause through as to what's really important, what really brings me joy, what really lights me up, what makes it fun to wake up in the morning and just get excited because it's so easy to lose that in the course of a day, in the course of a week, in the course of a year. 
it's so easy to just get wrapped up in the everyday and just kind of go through the motions and, you know, okay, uh, I have this, I have this, I have this. Let's check, like you said, check things off, check those boxes off. And I think that this mindset shift that I've experienced, I hope will carry me through for the next year. Oh, I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. Yay! Amber, uh, this has been a great conversation. I loved it. So how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, so um, ABC Coast to Coast is my Twitter and my Instagram handle. Um, Amber Browning Coyle Host is my Facebook. And the website is apebbleintheroad.com. Fantastic. We will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Amber, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Amber. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 201. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. Now, there are less than six months left in 2020, and I've got room for one or possibly two more private coaching clients, if you're serious about making the most this year, despite all these challenges. We start with a deep dive four-hour session to talk about your vision, values, and goals for the next year, and then we create a 90-day detailed strategy plan for the first three months. Regular meetings and full access over six months means you stay on track even when you hit a speed bump. If you had big plans for 2020, invest in yourself to make them happen. Email me to start or continue a conversation. My email is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Amber, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained the professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.